Watch this space episode three, two sides to a story. Welcome to Watch This Space, where we dive through the airlock of reality and into the universe of speculative cinema to look at what was and what could be. I'm Alan Williams. And I'm Paul French. And today we're looking at a decidedly two-sided topic, the 1913 production of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, Paul, what was your first exposure to this classic story? My first was actually from the original. My, my um, When I was a little kid... Uh, my dad used to tell all kinds of stories um, at, at bedtime, and he would he would tell them all out of uh, off the top of his head. And they were stories that he was good and familiar with. And one of his favorites was Treasure Island, um, of course, written by Robert Louis Stevenson. And that was the story that made me decide I want to be able to read because I heard that those stories were in books. And uh, and so he taught me to read at an at an early age, and uh, he used to uh, have a particular amount of pride when he would pick me up from nursery school, and they would be like, "Isn't that cute? He's pretending to read that magazine." And my dad was like, "No, he's reading that magazine." <laughs> and uh, so I got really into this. Um, I'm sure I've talked to you about them before, uh, but these. Um, Little classics illustrated books. Um, like you remember, like they would have those those uh Spider-Man books where they had like the the, the in the corner they had like the flip book thing. And so they were like yeah. yeah, like little books, you know, maybe um you know five by three at most. And yeah, when I was a kid, at least here, it, here they were called uh like a big little book or something like it's, that. It's it's exactly those. And uh yeah. and so they did a bunch of them. So when I say classics illustrated, you're right. It's not the right term. And I should know because I've got I found at a convention this last summer, um uh the Count of Monte Cristo uh in that format. And this was where I got a lot of my early books. You know, I got um Treasure Island and um the Three Musketeers, which I read until it literally fell apart. Um, and, um, and my dad, a number of years back, actually bought me, a, um, you know, a proper Dumas version. Uh, but but they had a bunch of them and I I collected them, uh, you know, and there were and, and so basically you'd have like a page of text and then you'd have. Uh, a, a drawing generally it was clearly by like a comic artist of the day you know this was just another mm -hmm. way for them to earn some cash and um and had things like Hound of the Baskervilles and Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court and all these books and then I and then it was like oh here's another one by Robert Louis Stevenson and it was of course uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, it was an abridged version, uh, as all of these were. Um, and uh, but, you know, there was it was still, you know, you, you got the gist of the story. And I and I absolutely loved it. And and later I ended up going out and buying a, uh, a, a you know, a proper version of uh, of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was the unabridged text. And uh, that was probably when I was about eight 
and um, and you know read the heck out of that. I haven't seen any movie versions until much, much later. So it's going to be interesting when we talk about it. But recently, uh, and I've mentioned this before, um, there is a series of annotated classics. And there's one of uh, Frankenstein that's on its way. Uh, I ordered it after we talked about it the other week. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so these are, are annotated versions done by Mysterious Press, which is from Pensler Publishers. And uh, they're doing these like deep annotated versions. This one gets into all of the different uses of, uh, of, of Jekyll and Hyde in comics, um, including, you know, those uh, those those Marvel uh, uh, classics editions. Uh, and there's a here's a, a Batman one by uh, Paul Jenkins and Sean Phillips. And um, and it gets into a bunch of the different movies. You've got a bunch of the movie posters. Uh, there's an intro by Joe Hill, uh, of course, the son nice. of Stephen King, and uh, a hell of a, 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 a scary story writer uh, in his own right. Um, and then you get into the book, and there's all these annotations of sort of... Um, um, uh, yeah, just just these uh, these annotations that kind of go along with you know how does this fit into the context of w- what was going on in London at the time, and um, and so looks into a lot of the uh, you know there's a reason that this uh, that this character reacts this way because and uh, and so it's a story I've always loved and uh, and this uh, this edition of it has has been, been a delight. I just I, I haven't finished the actual. Uh, the actual book yet because there's so much other stuff to read in it. Um, oh, so, I can believe it. So I look forward in, you know, into getting further into it. And yeah, I, I'm gonna get more on the of of this line of of books because it is um it's so it's so funny that that like because I got that completely independent of what we're doing and um um and it's neat how it's dovetailed with that. Very cool. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look for those myself. Um, they they sound like they would be really fun. I, I think love, I, you would. I love, love story this behind stuff. the story kind of thing. Totally, so, yeah, it's right down. It's right up your alley for sure. Sweet. Well, my first exposure was not nearly as um, as literary as yours. Mine mine was an adaptation. Um, it was, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, it was basically the Pink Panther. Really? There was a. Yes, um, along with the Pink Panther, there were Inspector Clouseau cartoons. That's right. Um, yes, and, yes, and one, and, and them, I think and they he, just referred to him as the Inspector, but for some reason, because there was some sort of, um, yeah, yeah, and and he had the the uh, Spanish uh, assistant who kept saying he would go see, si, and he's in the Clouseau would say, "Don't say si, say we, oui, we." Oui. <laughs> well. <laughs> In one of those cartoons, the uh, the, the bumbling assistant uh, who he consumed he accidentally consumed what amounted to the formula for Doctor for the Jekyll you know for the transformation and he becomes Mister Hyde several times. Every time he burps, it turns him back into oh Mister Hyde for a little bit, and then back it's kind of. <laughs> It was hilarious. hilarious. It was hilarious, and it was a it was a long time before I ever saw an actual film film adaptation. And 
I only remember watching it once. Mostly, I just know the story. I I haven't really seen too many. Like I have um, the, I have a, a nice set of the Universal Movie Monsters collection. Yeah, and it, I'm pretty sure Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde's in it. And if it's not, it should have been. But um, I. You know that would have been the Frederick March version. I've never. I've only seen. I've seen the transformation scenes from it, but never actually watched the whole thing. Then again, it took. Then again, I was. Uh, I didn't see. Um, the Werewolf of, uh, of London, the one that inspired the Warren Zevon song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't see that until uh, about a year ago. So wait, is so, that the uh, American Werewolf in London? No, the um, the original, the, the Werewolf original, of London okay. from 1935. Oh, I think it was 35. Man. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So, but, but it's interesting. You you talk about the 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 that cartoon um, mm-hmm. um, version of it. Now, what I always remember is there was a, a Tweety and Sylvester one where um, Tweety gets into Doctor Jekyll's lab, and it and there is a sign that clearly notes that it is Doctor Jekyll's lab. And uh, ingests the formula and um, and turns into this ginormous bird. And it kind of, uh, you know, similar to the Cato thing. So they definitely had an influence on it. Um, yes. Um, where where basically, you know, there's like a hiccup and then uh, she changed and then Tweety changes. And. Um, and I said, I remember so, that one. And and uh, it, you know it freaks uh, freaks Sylvester out. It, you know it was kind of kind of played like the same as when they used to have the mouse and the kangaroo, and uh-huh. uh, you know he would look around and all of a sudden it was huge, and it was it, it, so it, you know it was kind of uh, very similar in execution to that. But you had like like Tweety when Tweety turned into the Hyde version of Tweety, it was not pretty. Um, I. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of remember it, and it's like, yeah, big, big hulking. And yes. one thing I that I noticed that was kind of interesting is I don't remember for sure about Tweety, but I could have, uh, but I do remember that the in the Inspector Clouseau cartoon, yeah, he turns green. So I mean that they, they not. I mean we we all know we all know that the Hulk is basically Jekyll and Hyde. hundred percent, hundred percent, partially. Yeah, it's partially. It's, it's kind of like. Jekyll and Hyde with a touch of uh, Frankenstein, particularly in the look and in the, the way it played with it, his intelligence. And which, we, as we discussed last time, um, you know, the that became a sliding scale. And in, right. indeed, with the Hulk, it became a sliding scale. Um, yes. You, you know, and and um, and and for those of us who are of a certain vintage, um, we remember as 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 kids we we remember of course uh when bill bixby uh used to yes. turn into the, into the hulk and it's interesting because of course the original hulk story is that um banner gets changed into the hulk because he tries to rescue rick jones from this nuclear blast shields right. him from the blast and takes the full brunt of the gamma uh, radiation and right. uh, and so it is an accident uh, born of altruism. Um, and of course, then he becomes hunted for that because everybody fears him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and whereas the TV version, 
um, uh, Banner, David Banners because he can't be Bruce because Bruce is apparently Bruce too, too gay. It's a yes. little too swishy, apparently. Uh, <laughs> you know, because the last guy named Bruce on TV, I mean, he lived with a dad. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, hey, now <laughs> you have a point, though. I, I detect no I'm lies wrong. here. I'm not wrong. That's right. Um, and so, wrong. so the thing was that um, in that case, his wife had died and mm-hmm. he was in a car accident where he couldn't free her from the wreckage. And then he, he was hearing all these stories and, you know, we all used to hear them around that, around that time in the sort of the, yeah. uh, the mid to late seventies where there were all these stories of like, you know, mothers pulling cars off their children, you know, just this sheer burst of adrenaline, uh, that gave them uh preternatural strength in, uh, in dealing with a crisis. Uh, oh, sorry. I shouldn't throw that a word, that word around lightly. Yeah. That, um, that's guys. That, that, that's um, okay. That's for a different, that that's, that's for a different time and a place. Indeed. Indeed. Or um, all ta- or all times in all places at the same time. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway, um, so so he was trying to tap into those unknown strengths, and I think his story is actually closer. Like I, I, I was thinking about, you know, why did they make those changes in particular? Part of it is like now we have the only other character that we have is dead, and so. Um, makes it easier um and uh, but at the same time i think there was also an influence from uh you know further influence from uh uh dr jekyll and mr hyde where it's like let's make banner dr jekyll and he's trying to find these unknown strengths trying to find you know sort of plumb the depths of um of human consciousness and human strength and uh mm-hmm. and this is what it gets him and um <clears throat> And yeah, maybe I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but but in my in my feeling, it's kind of what we talked about when we talked about Frankenstein. It is this idea mm-hmm. of 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 man trying to dig deeper than they should. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. What it does. Yeah. This is this is all about another. Um, in many ways, it's another science gone wrong type of type of scenario. But yeah. For different reasons, and I think the different reasons are what make it really interesting. Absolutely. Um, so, let, sh- shall we dive into this? Please, let's. All right. And as, as the airlock of reality opens and we look in, yeah, we, we know the classic story of, of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that it's inspired by something in real life. Um man named William Brody from Scotland. Uh, And and remember, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. Yes. Um, So we have, so William Brody was a locksmith who was apparently a a paragon of high society by day, but he led a gang of criminals at night. Um, What he would do was he would use his own tools and also create copies of the keys uh, whenever he was installing locks in the rich people's, in the, the truly rich people's houses. And he would, they, he and his gang would break in at night and steal money, valuables, 
all to fund the, the gambling habit he had and also to provide for the two mistresses and the five children they had between between the two mistresses. Oh my goodness. And that's not even counting his own his own home. You know, right. his own- yes, yes, exactly. He had a, yeah. he had a lifestyle to support. <laughs> yes. There is a there is a great uh overview of it that makes a reference to uh to Brody uh there's a YouTube video, which we'll have in the show notes, yeah. called The Bizarre Truth of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And also, there's a great article out on the Historic UK about, um, as he's called it here, Deacon Brody. And little, it, it's very interesting. It says that um, they, they couldn't find any hard evidence to incriminate Brody until they searched his house. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be executed— and he, uh, this is a great story. This is just great. He had bribed the hangman, I'm quoting directly from the site now, to ignore a steel collar he was wearing with the hope this would defeat the noose. But despite the arrangement he made to have his body quickly removed following the hanging, he could not be revived. It, the final irony was that Brody was hanged from a gibbet, which he himself had only recently redesigned. He proudly boasted to the crowd that the gallows upon which he was about to die was the most efficient of its of its kind in existence. Brody was buried in an unmarked grave at the parish church in Buckley. I guess that's how that's pronounced. I have no idea. It's 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 all, it's, it's all made it's up. Gaelic. Yeah, it's Gaelic. exactly. It's uh, you know, if it wasn't Scottish, it'd be crap. So yeah, well, the the only the only thing worse than trying to read. Than trying to read Gaelic for me is trying to read Welsh. So, oh yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, whatever they served to eat at the uh, funeral, likely based on a dare. Oh, as as is all Scottish cuisine. I am not on my own on this. I have some Scottish blood, so it's all it's all fair. Oh, most of my. Most of my ancestry, my ancestry DNA profile says I'm, I'm from Great Britain and Ireland. And yeah, same, uh, same, same. With this, um, with the smatter- yeah. yeah, with the smattering of Scandinavian and uh, and Northern European Jewish. Really. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you you can't be from the UK and be just uh, you know uh, one of them. Um, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. Uh, yes. You know, I think I've shared before. My my dad was brought up in the uh, British school system of of uh, of the forties, and yes. um, where they were taught that the Irish are devils, and um, watch out for them. And it 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 was many years before he was able to kind of break free of that programming and, you know, given, and it, and it kind of stemmed from, you know, me noticing at one point there was a map of Ireland and it was like the name French was like from this region. And it's like, Oh, Hey, it's an Irish name. And he's like, what? <laughs> oh, oh, And uh, oh, because, yeah. you know, that like the, the programming it was a for real and um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and so, um, and I'm going to loop this right back around is that, uh, um, you know, when he talks of the London of the forties and, you know, and he has, he used to have these great stories about he and his, uh, and his older brother going to, uh, to a football game in uh, Blackpool 
and uh, and and walking back, you know, like two little kids, right, uh, walking across London, um, which you know um, we were we were you know not uh, what fifty years from uh, from freaking Jack the Ripper. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, not exactly the, uh, we've all read Dickens, come on. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And so, um, but he's told, he t- would tell these stories. And of course this is just after the blitz. And, uh, and so you're dealing with like buildings that are like utterly blackened and, 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 uh, and, you know, and, 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 and he said, he imagined it wasn't that far from like you know the the Whitechapel days, you know, and the uh-huh. and this idea of like you know the you know the stovepipe hats and uh, and canes, and it was very much um, uh, that that kind of environment, you know. And it was, uh, um, you know, he said it still felt a bit like it was a you know in, in comparison to later, it felt like it was a bit of a free for all, and. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and I, so I've always found that interesting, you know, and it's uh, um, probably part of why a lot of these stories really kind of resonated with him. Um, uh, oh, you know, yeah. whether it was up in that area. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, cool. like Stevenson was a, was a Scot as well, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, um, it, it, it the, the 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 book certainly paints uh you know remembering back to uh when i first read it um as i said i've been too caught up in the uh annotations to to get into the text as much yet um but you know and and so it's been a number of years since i last read the uh the original book and um it paints a vivid picture of of london society as well as sort of the uh the underbelly of the city and um yeah it, you know it's, it's oh yeah it's that that dark picture it's that it, it, it's it's the thing that made it easier to read uh from hell for example um speaking of of you know Whitechapel and uh, uh and yes. that era and just like the the grime of the city um, mm-hmm. as with many cities, you know, gentrification has, uh, has, you know, put a bit of a spit shine on, on things, but, uh, right. but, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was a, a very different space. And, um, oh, for sure. I mean, this, you know, see me underbellies, uh, all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, I live in Chicago. Hello. Exactly. Yeah. Al Capone, anyone? Um, there are still some. Mary's where I live right now, Rogers Park is starting to undergo some gentrification. I think yeah. it's because it's right there in between, you know, we're, we're basically in between Evanston and uh, Loyola University. Okay. So, yeah. we're, you know, so you got Northwestern up to, you know, up, a, up the road a bit and you've got, you've got Loyola down the, down the way a little bit and all the, mm-hmm. and it's, but at the same time, we're also not that far from, uh, from the end of the red line. Uh, one of the ends of the red line at at the um, over on Howard, and the red line is a lot of homeless people writing, or I guess they call them unhoused now. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, writing writing those trains because it's it's a way to stay warm. 
So long yeah. as they don't leave the station, they don't pay again. So, you know, they can they can stay riding those trains back and forth all night. Yeah. If they need to. And it's uh so yeah, there there's this there's a, a seamy underbelly to, uh, to everything. And this was ironic. a very a very real part of, of London at, at the time as well, is the is yes. you know um again, well, we've all read Dickens. <laughs> yeah. Well what's what I found really interesting is that is that um the the novel is actually was actually published about I mean, almost exactly a hundred years after William Brody died, um, after he was hung. So we're talking taking the you know taking inspiration from a one hundred year old story, yeah, and applying it, and yet it's still the way it still fits that it's still the idea of the seamy underside and the repression of the Victorian era, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Because when you get into it, I mean that, you know, Hyde is very much the opposite of the button down, um, uh, you mm-hmm. know, repressed individual. He is very, you know, very much a, um, you know, often, you know, portrayed in, in various things as, as a, um, uh, you know, as a monster, but really when you get down right. to it, it was more of a uninhibited um, expression of id, uh, essentially. Yes. And, that's, and yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and if you think about it, this was, a, um, the, this is roughly in the era when psychoanalysis was coming out. And uh, let's see. Uh, so we're very much in, in the, Freud. Freud, in the early Freud era, aren't we? I think so. I'm double checking his age now. Um, let's see. He was born in 1856. So yeah, he would have been, I oh, lived to 1939, lived a decent age. Um, but yeah, we are talking, we are talking right in that time when Freud was doing all of his discussions about the id and, yeah, and ego, the ego and the super ego. And yeah, yeah. And then you're also, and you're, um, it's also around the time of the, um, of Jung, and the collective unconscious was he that right early? Here. I didn't realize that. I thought so. I thought he yeah. was more of a. I could be wrong. I could be. Um, I could easily be wrong because because well, it's you know I, I've slept since then, but yeah. um, no, but, it's but not Freud, that. Freud not uh, that. completed his. He he um, set up his uh, clinical practice in 1886. Yeah, 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 um, <laughs> and. And the ideas of Jung uh, would have come after 1900 because Jung was born in 1875, so he would right. have, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be at that point yet. But it's already starting, you know, because the the idea of the id kind of led into the led into Jung's ideas of the collective unconscious. So there's a little, so you kind of, but you feel that you see the 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 action against the the repression, you know, the repression, right. the um, and to some extent, um, you could even argue that you know there, there's some of that um, Oedipal complex going on in there. Um, that in a yeah, sense, I can see that. Yeah, you know, that, that in a sense he you know desires desires almost desires to kill his father. If you think of Hyde as as the child of Jekyll. Okay. Because he's in, inside. Because he's, he's in love he's, with you know, born oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he wants to take over, and he wants. Um, so it's that whole. It, it's the the weird idea 
of almost the Oedip- uh, almost exactly an Oedipal complex brought to life as, um, in the sense of self-sabotage. Yeah. Oof, boy, wow. I just thought of that. I literally just thought of that. That's, that's just, wow. But l- l- let's give a little background on this version of the film. Yeah. Because, because this is not the first adaptation uh, to film of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The first one came in 1908. But believe it or not, before, so it, in the next 17 years, there would yep. be, there, there would be 25 versions of the film produced. It was popular. Um, as a matter of fact, there was another version that came out this same, the same year, 1913, as this one. Um, and as I was, and like I was telling you before we started recording, I even if you went out to YouTube and accidentally put in 1912 instead of 1913, it ended up watching a second version of Dr. Yeah. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, some of the, one of the most interesting things I find about this is that um, the, this predates the Frederick March version, the Universal Studios version, right. by by eighteen years. But ironically, they're both Universal Studios. This was uh, produced by the Universal Film Manufacturing Company Incorporated, oh, which funny. became Universal Studios. Yeah. So actually, they made one of the first, one of the first uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Not the first, but one yeah. of them. It's interesting how it predates it. Um, there are some interesting celebrities that are associated with various film versions of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, the, the, there's a well-known version from 1920 where John Barrymore played. Right. Uh, played him, And John Barrymore was the brother of Lionel Barrymore. So any, anybody who knows It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, and I do. Would remember Mr. Oh, Potter. Old Man mm-hmm. Potter. Old Man Potter. Yeah. Why? Also, He's not even a real cripple. <laughs> and then John Bar- um and, and John Barrymore is also Drew Barrymore's grandfather. Right. I mean, the Barrymores were just a big dynasty in there, you know, like well, Ethel totally, and, totally. And, and, John, and when you yeah. see when you see John um and then you see um um his you know uh Drew's father, like like the resemblance is yeah, huge, right. It it like I I looked at the poster. Uh, for that version, and uh, and it's like, yeah, any pictures I've seen of the guy, it's like, yep, that's him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and then there was a 1920 version that was produced by F.W. Murnau. Um, that name might be familiar to yes, horror fans because right. he produced, he was responsible for Nosferatu from 1922, which introduced its own bit of of uh, lore into the vampire world oh, because hugely. up until then. Oh yeah! Up until then, sunlight didn't kill vampires, right? And in there, but, you could see how could it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, right? Yeah. And then, and then one last, and I find this one really interesting. Um, so the 1931 Frederick March version of the film, the makeup was done by Wally Westmore. If that last name sounds familiar, it's because he is the uncle of Michael Westmore the longtime Star Trek makeup artist and um, brother of Michael Westmore senior, who also did some Star Trek makeup. So the the Westmore dynasty is pretty well known in that. And also um, Westmore inspired. um, Oh, I can't think of his name. It's Nigel something uh, who did the makeup for the Klingons in Star Trek into darkness. Um, And, 
um, and his daughter, uh, Westmore's daughter Mackenzie, hosted that uh, the program Face Off on Sci Fi Channel. Yeah, she, um, had some amazing makeup. Yeah, um, I can't think of Nigel's last name. I want to say it's Pierce, but I don't think that's right. But um, he he actually was at C two E two one year when we went. Okay. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I uh, will figure this out. Um anyway. So the just you know some little bits this obviously was done in the, the this is another short one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I managed so to that, watch it twice today. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And um, it, it really gets in a lot to the um, – so, sorry, actually, let's talk the pedigree of this. Of course, it's uh, uh, Carl Lemel. Lemel? Am I saying that right? Lemley? Lemley. I think yes. it's Lemley. I think you're right, yeah. It's either Lemley or Lemiel, but I think it's Lemley. Lemley. Yeah, that's Lemley. the way I've heard it the most, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, so so he's involved in this one, and of course, uh, we've heard his name before. Mm -hmm. um, which one was his? Was his um, the uh, 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 visit to Jupiter, or um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm double checking because you, you know the, he, he's a he's a name that you, that you would hear a lot. Um, you know, associated with right. um, the well, yeah, well, definitely associated with some horror. He is, yeah. uh, he did the Lon Chaney senior versions of Phantom of the Opera and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and also The Man Who Laughs with Conrad Veidt, right? Who, which was an inspiration, the inspiration for the Joker. For the Joker. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, you're right, it, it is Lemley. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at it on, uh, Wikipedia same. and thankfully, yeah. yeah, I, thankfully I know the IPA, the international phonetic alphabet. So I'm looking at going, Oh yeah, well, I'm like, got it. Lemley. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and this is a guy who, uh, you know, definitely in that early stage of, uh, uh, of Hollywood, you know, he was there. He and uh, yes. as they say, he was one of the co-founders um, of Universal Pic Pictures. Indeed, was the owner until 1934. Uh, mm -hmm. He died in 1939, and um, and he and his son were both involved in um, the creation uh, in uh, Dracula and Frankenstein, both also from 1931. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a lot, right? Um Yeah, so that's kind of the uh um it, you know, hey, he made it he, he had a good run. He made it 72. He's uh, he's all right. Um yeah, that's a good run. Yeah. Um yeah, especially for the time. Um so yeah, but this was one of his earlier movies and um you know, he uh, originally worked, um, actually, he uh, settled in Chicago for a while. And um, mm -hmm. may, may, maybe someone you know uh, ran into him. Um, and, um, 
but in 1930 or in uh, when he was uh 39 in 1906 he quit the job mm-hmm. wanted to open up a, a network of cheap real t- uh retail stores but then he entered into a nickelodeon and decided to start one of the first motion picture theaters in chicago uh which was the yeah. white front on milwaukee avenue oh. Oh, I found that name that I was thinking of. It wasn't yeah. Nigel. It's Neville. Neville Page. Okay. I probably, I probably yeah, I probably got the j probably just was combining Neville Page into Nigel something. So yeah. <laughs> Neville, but yeah, Neville Page. I remember actually being here, seeing him. Um hmm. yeah, seeing him on the uh, on the uh, convention floor. Oh, that's neat. On the show floor. So with um some of the I can't remember who they were, but a couple of the winners of previous seasons were with them. It was the year that they started doing, because Neville judged the season, he judged the first Champions of Cosplay contest that they had in uh, for C2E2. That was when when C2E2 became part of the big Champions of Cosplay. um, Okay. Kind of like the math, you know, kind of like the... uh, like the the uh, the golf grand slam kind of thing where you've got yeah. to use the masters and the um, <laughs> the US Open and all those. Same thing. Exactly. You get your green jacket and uh That's right. and away you go. Um but here's one of the the neat things is that the person he you know basically he challenged Edison's monopoly on moving pictures. Yes. Um and like like there's the cool thing, right? So you know just last week we watched the Edison-produced uh, version of Frank of Frankenstein, and um, and uh, and here we are with his ma- major with Edison's major competitor, uh, Lemley, and uh, yes. and so um, one of the things that he started doing was advertising individual stars like Mary Pickford and Florence Lawrence. Well, that's an unfortunate rhyme. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and basically it, you know, kind of, uh, almost, it, almost kind of creating the star system. Right. Uh, because, right. uh, because that wasn't a thing before that, you know, and, and we would see a number of years where it became the, you know, you were on co- under contract to the studio. Um, but they were still, you know, promoting the, the personality, um, and maybe not realizing that at some point, that contract is going to run out. And, um, anyway, so, so yeah, so Lemley was a, was a big, uh, was a big part of that and kind of that push forward for the, for the, the movie industry. Um, absolutely. So, I mean, when you look at sort of the influence of something like this in science fiction, again, it is science and it is fiction. And it is like he said last week, like, like, it's the passing of eras, right? Like here it was more chemical. And uh, so it's that chemistry side of things. And I think you're right there, you know, the burgeoning um, school of, uh, of, of psychology and sort of understanding uh, um, psychotherapy mm-hmm. and all these different things um, was kind of bringing things to the fore that were being used in fiction and um and and you always get like like the thing about Jekyll and Hyde is it is the classic um here is the uh you know the happy ionian uh 
um, situation, and then the Dionysian force bursts in to uh, to tear it all asunder, and uh, and that you know, so so I mean, a lot of sort of you know, simple literary literary devices. I mean, that have been at play always is that classic good versus evil, that uh, heads versus tails. The uh, yes. you know, and and uh, um, that we would later see. Uh, and in fact, one of the Jekyll and Hyde things for a Batman issue they had had a had a picture Two Face on the cover. Um, uh huh. Right, and so yeah, there was even uh, there was an adaptation. Uh, in Elseworlds, it was called Batman Two Faces. Mm, mm-hmm. Had um, where I believe I remember I Batman and the Joker. Um, Batman literally was the Joker, transforming. It's like you know, <laughs> Batman would transform into into a version of the Joker in yeah in like Victorian London. Another thing, Abnett Lanning this, wrote that, by the way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Abnett Lanning. Yeah, I know them. Exactly. Uh, with art that. by Anthony Williams. Okay. And then, now the thing that always gets me about this, though, and this is not, um, this is not something I hear a lot, but I also wonder how much of Stevenson's original um, notion, the, the whole, you know, with chemicals and everything, was inspired by opium dens at the time. I mean, there, there was some pretty hefty drug use okay. at the time. And then, and you're going there aren't here. You? Yeah. And here, 1913, we're getting into, um, we're getting into another, we're, we're not, we're not at the prohibition era yet, obviously. Right. But we, but we were at a time when there were already starting to be some films, some anti-drug films. Um, not hmm. reefer madness. That's that's much much. That's, later that's yeah, a little ways to go. Yeah, yeah, but 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 there were some. There were. I remember somewhere seeing a silent seeing a silent film that was literally kind of a precursor to reefer madness. Oh, and there so, was yeah there, yeah, there was all kinds of stuff like that. Like like you know, and the, and you would get uh, you would get comics drawn, um, sort of underground comics at the time uh-huh. uh, that that were getting into a lot of that stuff. Another interesting aspect to that is um, um, you know when when you mentioned the opium dens, where I thought you were going with it mm-hmm. was uh, if uh, uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know the uh, yeah. the superhero team of the Victorian age, as it were, and mm-hmm. of course uh, there we saw um, uh, Alan Quartermain, a shadow of his former self, uh, pulled out of an opium den, and um, and of course this is right. You know, there's there's yeah. As as is the case with a lot of of Moore's stuff, you know there is a lot of uh, attention paid to the particular dates of things, and right. um, and you know you can have this ca- uh, this character there because this book came out at this point, and so that's where they were in their life, and uh, and so of course Hyde was a was a major character for the first volume in a bit, um, mm-hmm. and, and in the film. Yes. Well, yes, not a major character in the film, but he was a character. But yes, the film. You know, yeah. Well, I know, I know, but I like the film actually. Um, oddly I, enough, I, I I only read the second volume of um, of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so the the one that um, it, that 
that focuses on the War of the Worlds. Yes, which is great. Yeah. See, to me, um, Moore is not one of my favorite writers. Okay. He's written, he's hit or, I'm hit or miss with Moore. Yeah, so that, that's fair. I, yeah, I kind of preferred the movie, but the, I just, because I wanted the fun action tale. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, Moore, and, and, Moore's it, work is much more subtle. It is, and it is much more um, uh, building that world. And uh, yes. and what what changes does this bring upon that world? And uh, but it but it is also very much a every page is just redolent with um, uh, with references. And uh, it is why uh, you know it is why Chris Robertson started up Monkey Brain Books was because mm-hmm. uh, Jess Nevins had done his annotations, and it was like oh someone should put these out, and I guess it'll be me, and. Um, and you know and and so but like you can read the the thing i like about it is you can read the story and not know all the references and think yes it's a pretty good story and then you find that then you when you break into that extra layer with the you know this character is such and such as noted by this you know thing that they're holding or whatever Mm -hmm. or or they 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 say something in conversation that is a reference to, and uh, and it's like oh my god, everything that is on that page is there for a reason, and I have mad respect for that. But what I what I'm saying is uh, is it really does build the world of that time, and, yeah. Uh, and it is it is far more chaotic than the, you know, we all, we all think of like, you know, as, as you get back into the older days, it's all, you know, just a simpler time and it's not. No, it's not. And it's something like this. And especially, you know, you going from the book to the film, mm-hmm. you, you lose some of that world building, but you still, I, yeah. I think this film did a pretty good job of capturing some of that. Um, I, I, you know, I definitely I'll, capturing I'll admit, the feel of some of it. I'll admit I saw it once on a plane. Not the ideal situation for it. And uh, um, and when I see that, yeah, the screenplay was written by James Robinson of all people. Like, yeah, I, I, I need to give it another look. Clearly, yeah, yeah. I I think it it could be one of those things where maybe you don't where maybe you don't like it as much, but. Um, Looping back around to, to the 1913 film, yeah, um, there's an interesting thing that a comparison in there in, in that um, you, if you look at the film version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yeah, um, you notice that Hyde's this big hulking monster. Well, that actually kind of goes against if I. It's been a while since I've read the book but it seems to me that goes against what um the way the way uh stevenson describes him yeah that he it's like he's you know actually and this is where i give i give plenty of credit to the actor uh what was his name again king baggett what a name yes um yeah. but i i give him a lot of credit he's no uh he he's no uh Lon Chaney senior, but yeah. his well, Mr. Hyde. Um, the the fact that the fact that when he trans you know in, in the transformation, he literally hunches his body down. And this is what I, uh, I'll just share you share from you from Stevenson's text. 
Uh, Ed Field says, uh, well, I can't see what harm it would do. It was a man by the name of Hyde. Hmm, said Mr. Rutterson. What sort of man is he to see? He's not easy to describe. There is something wrong with his appearance, something displeasing, something downright detestable. I never saw a man I so disliked, and yet I scarcely know why. He must be deformed somewhere. He gives a strong feeling of deformity, although I couldn't specify the point. He's an extraordinary-looking man, and really I can't name anything out of the way. No, sir, I can make no hand of it. I can't describe him, and it's not want of memory, for I declare I can see him in this moment. And so, you know, it is it is just what the, what the part that they talk about is just that he looks normal. He's just not right. Yeah. And, um, and, and so that's kind of the thing is that, that he's just not right. And that is really him as a character. Yeah. It's a, it's very interesting. It's not what you expect out of the original, you know, we're used to seeing Hyde, Hyde shown as extremely monstrous looking. Yes. But, and I think over time he's, he's become more and more. They, they they played him up more and more as being, mon, you know, as being I that think kind you're of right. yeah. big monster. But if you go back, um, if you go back to like this version or to even the 1920 version with uh, John Barrymore, yeah, there's there's a lot, not a lot to uh, of work done to it to make him look that different, but it does. What. Um, mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. more so with Barrymore, because I think Barrymore. Um, but they, there were apparently stage productions of this well before the the film versions ever came along. Where mm-hmm. they were doing it with like they were doing it with tricks in the lighting. Yeah, to do it, I can see that that it doesn't that a good actor doesn't necessarily need a lot of transformation. Look, I mean, not to say that. That um, Jekyll, that uh, the later, the later Universal Studios version, the Frederick March version, wasn't extremely cool because a lot of what they did was done literally with uh, lighting techniques there too, the, yeah. a different kind of lighting that would reveal a different layer of the makeup. But this is you know, just just looking at this, it's like wow, what. Look at the things that this guy just did with his facial expression that made him look that different. You compare that to like what Lon Chaney Sr. would be doing in a few years in Hunchback of Notre Dame or Phantom yeah. of the Opera or London After Midnight um, based on the stills, the, what few stills we still have of that. Yeah, And it's just, you know, the, the work, and I, I kind of felt sorry for, for, for Chaney because he, actually you know screwed up his eyes with the uh, hunchback of notre dame makeup but um he still you know that work compared to this kind of thing and um there was also a version in the 40s with spencer tracy mm-hmm. in it um and spencer tracy also apparently used a minimum of makeup i've never seen the version but from what i understand it's a minimum I remember my dad talking about it and I remember him always saying like, like to him, it was this, um, 
you know, to him, the difference between this and the Hulk was, again, it was he he did not turn into a monster. What it was, he says, it's more important that it shows you that a human can become a monster. And um, and and so that sort of side of it. Um, And and sorry, I was also looking up. I know I had heard that there was a. Um, a version uh, that Johnny Lee Miller and, but maybe I'm mixing it up with something else. Johnny Lee Miller and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch were doing where they were switching off roles, but maybe it's not this. Maybe this was in the same conversation, but um, but uh, but I'm not finding it. Um, uh, but but one thing I did want to point out is like like we talk about all these versions of it. Um, that came out sort of, you know, in the first half of the, uh, of the 20th century. Um, it's mm-hmm. not a, uh, for all the remakes of Dracula and Frankenstein we've seen, indeed, even the mummy, um, this isn't one that has come up. And I wonder why that is. I don't know. Is it that look at the, uh, I don't know. Is it that look at the cultural side of it that they, that they can't get past and sort of transfer to current class differences? I wonder if that's it. There was a 1990 TV version. Mm -hmm. Um, with look, is it Michael Caine as Jekyll? Really? Oh, and yeah. And actually we we're mispronouncing it. We all this time, um, it's actually supposed to be Jekyll. I remember I that from that I video. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't either. I can't either. <laughs> um, but apparently, you know, if you go back, if you go back to the Frederick March version, they're pronouncing it correctly. There is also a version of Jekyll and Hyde from from twenty twenty one. When his close friend here, Dr. Henry Jekyll, is accused of a horrific murder, lawyer Gabriel Utterson launches his own investigation, only to discover a secret more shocking than he could have imagined. Interesting. Yeah. So there's one that was just done a couple of years ago, but they're all smaller. They're, they're all. Yeah. And there's like this a, one. I just found one that, that, uh, on Deadline that was um, um, staged um, in February of 22. And uh, they they were live streaming it to selected Scottish theaters, um, and uh, there was talk about another movie version coming out, but but nothing uh, nothing since. Yeah, and then it, well, I think maybe what might have helped kill it was this really really goofball modernized um, version called Jekyll and Hyde together again, mm-hmm. which um, doesn't have anything necessarily speaking well for it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> from what I can tell. Um, but on the other hand, it's been doing, it did fairly well on the stage. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Yes. What year was that musical? The musical. Is, is this the one with me, Sebastian Bach? It, yes. The one with yes, Sebastian Bach. Yes. Gets, yeah. Uh, it came out, started, um, it premiered in May, 1990. Yeah. That's the, was that's the one with Sebastian Bach really? in it. Yeah. And that that's what I find really, really weird is the idea that it's 
It's well, like, I oh remember reading. I like. I read his his uh, his autobiography, and he talks about that time, and uh, and doing that. And so he was in it. It was from two thousand. Um, it was in two thousand. Um, <laughs> I was almost going to say it's like uh, sp- from June fifteenth, two thousand, to October fifteenth, two thousand, spanning <laughs> re- six months. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but. Um, Oof. Yeah, so he the, did that. The Hoff, was... David Hasselhoff was in it. Yeah, was the was. lead in it? Yeah. Holy moly! Yep. That is just yeah, yeah. Notable replacements. Um, yeah. So Sebastian Bach. How how long did he do that? Let's see. Uh, I'm looking, looking, looking. Come on, where's there? We go. Um, in 2001, he he began performing again. Okay, okay. So in 2000, Bach began performing in Broadway productions. He made his Broadway debut with the title roles in Jekyll and Hyde in April 2000. Okay, and then in 2001, he was in Rocky Horror Show. He was Riff Raff. Oh my God! This is not a. I'm sorry, but the lead singer of Skid Row is not the person I would think of as, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Um, um, and uh, and sorry, I was thinking uh, Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, M- Miller. I should have saved this for saved this for last week's or last time's episode. Uh, they did Frankenstein, and what they would do is each night they would alternate um, who played uh, Frankenstein and who played the monster. Oh and, wow! Uh, and it was directed by uh, Danny Boyle of uh, Train Spotting and all the other things. Mm-hmm. Name, and uh, so he directed it. And and yeah, Cumberbatch was uh, either the creature or or the doctor, depending on which night you went in. And they would trade off, which I think is just genius. And uh, God, I'd love to watch them both do that. Um, um, yeah, for some reason, I, I, I guess I thought that that was uh, Jekyll and Hyde because it just, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, playing well, two sides of that coin. certainly had the right feel. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, I think that physical deformity idea of it and the, the – what I like about the way Utterson describes it in, in the book is that he says – I can't, I don't know what it is. You know, he's like, it's some sort of physical oddity, but I yeah. can't, I can't put it into words. It's just that, that, that he is it just in general unsettling. And, uh, and, and perhaps that is more the point. And, and I thought that, that, um, that Baggett, uh, King Baggett, uh, did a really good job of that in this, in this movie. And, uh, you know, because it was very short and I liked that they played around with the, he has to take the antidote, um, to, to change back to Jekyll. And, uh, and I find it interesting, you know, because of course a lot of people play off it much like with Frankenstein and his monster, uh, they play off the stupid monster, um, game, right. Where it's like, oh yeah, it gets really dumb. But in this, it's like, oh, Hyde's smart. Hyde's like, you know, I got to mix up some antidote. And um, he knows when it's not a good time for him. And, you know, much like the, um, um, oh God, what's his name? The guy from the 100 years before. Um, Um, Oh, oh, Brody. 
Brody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. William Brody, you know, much like, uh, much like Brody, he knows that, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I, I need to, uh, to cool it and get back to, uh, to putting on the good airs. Um, because yeah. that is what, what ensures that I can live in the lifestyle to which I am becoming accustomed. Yes. And it's a, just amazing. Um, some of the stuff. Oh, and here's one I had forgotten about, uh, an adaptation of it from 1971 hammer films. Yeah. Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and sister Hyde. <laughs> yeah. Where the, where the twist is that it, that he actually switches from, uh, switches genders in it. It's, <clears throat> mm. Yeah, um, I hear a lot of uh, I hear a lot of Republican sphincters slamming closed. Ah, um, uh, so do I. So do I. <laughs> it's like here, to 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 which I to which I just have to say, pucker up, boys. I was in the Pride collection at, at Target today. <laughs> there you there you go, there you go, and I cracked open a Bud Light while I was in there. That's right. Was walking around with my rainbow can of Bud Light and just <laughs> showing off. That's right. So, um, so yeah, like you know, and and Sister Hyde and I, 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 I feel like there had to be like a black exploitation version. Um, oh, I'm sure there probably was. Uh, you know, and or 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 a later comedy that would have been like uh, you know Gene Wilder as Doctor Jekyll and Richard Pryor as uh, Mister Hyde. Yes, we all wish it had happened. Um, well, you know, well, you know, thinking about that, um, there was always the nut, there's always the nutty professor, both the Jerry Lewis version and the Eddie Murphy version. Uh, very much, you know, and it is it, it is borrowing from the same thing, um, mm-hmm. or even um, Family Matters with uh, Urkel and his and, and Stefan Urkel. Yes. Stefan Urkel. Yes. <laughs> it, it, the difference was is that the 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 Hyde version was the originator. <laughs> yes. The the for me the fun the the interesting thing about it is that it, it's such a such a classic concept the idea of a hidden repressed self an alter ego of sorts yeah. and I mean, if you think about it let, let's face it for uh, another thing that would have been in the Victorian era at that time. Think of Oscar Wilde. Yes. Would have been, yes. yes would have been anybody who was, uh, anybody who was not straight. So, I'm, I'm yeah, not, you know, but, uh, you know uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, because uh, I, I, I think it's, it's an unavoidable comparison, right? It's like people repressing themselves to fit in with, with a narrow view of, uh, within society, um, mm-hmm. and, and not being true to themselves and, and, you know, having to find a way out. And, um, I think that's a lot of it too, is, is, you know, and, and, and Hey, uh, you know, I, I don't know where, um, um, uh, you know, I know that um, Stevenson had had some back and forth uh, politically at the time, and mm-hmm. um, and certainly by the time this came out, he was really uh, he only had another eight years to go, and yeah. um, uh, and, and and so. But I think to myself, like you know, yeah, like you think of repressive Victorian times. 
and uh, and this idea of 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 you know, um, I, I mean, I, I think there's a case that can be made for um, you know the picture of Dorian Gray is like basically like I'm I'm putting this side of myself up there, and yeah, um, uh, you know it, it 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 is living my life for me, and um, you know whereas with this you know that idea that that you know, coming out is the, uh, is the, uh, the exercise that is, is the finally I can be myself. And, uh, yeah. and it was, was so, you know, in that side uh, that hide with, you know, in, in, in this, um, what, what Stevenson is saying is that, that, that true self is perhaps distasteful. Um, yes. you know, it is, it is more id, um, Whereas yes. in 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 the case of someone coming out, it is more ego. I I, I don't know. It is more self, right? Like it is more yeah, it, it, oneself. It's more balance. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but but you know, here, I, the, I, I talked earlier about my dad's view of uh, of the Irish. You know, being raised in right. the, you know, you know that that stuff became so pernicious. Uh, to people and maybe that was the case in in stevenson's time like maybe that's what this was all about oh yeah well um in stevenson's time i mean we are talking the victorian era we're talking about a we're talking about a queen who wanted who literally wanted long tablecloths to cover up the leg the bare legs of tables if the if that story is to be believed yeah, and it's like I, um doesn't surprise me <laughs> yeah so um when I think back, and it's I kind of funny because lately I have been listening to a lot of, of a lot of gay history podcasts. Yeah, you know, thinking thinking about it, you know, not not just thinking about my coming out, which believe it or not was thirty five years ago, <laughs> um, and a harder time to a harder time to yeah. for sure. Well, yeah. it was a harder time to. It was a time in, and I was in a small college in. Northeast Missouri, out oh. in the booties. You know, you timed that um, well. So, you timed that well. Yeah. Let's put it this way. The, uh, let's put it this way. The the biggest group on campus at the time was Campus Crusade for Christ. Yeah, yeah, they were probably and very I, helpful. I came bursting out of the closet, the only person to be publicly out on campus for the rest of the time I was there, starting with about the middle of my second sophomore semester so yeah. yeah so for like two two years and a bit yeah and wow. come, and later later they actually created a group and i was still friends with somebody who was there and and it was somebody who said literally said maybe alan had the right idea he told me that and i'm just like wow John, you gotta be kidding me That's i was like john are you serious and he's like yeah so um, as a matter of fact, um, one year, not long after that, I went down there. I actually met somebody who was in the group who wanted to meet me because he said that they all knew who I was. That's wild. So it's like, but yeah, I can tell you, you know, coming out at that time, you know, that was only that that wasn't that long after the after uh, the DSM after the psycho the APA took oh, yeah. out homosexuality as a as a mental illness from the dsm and uh so back then if you think about it and i'm going to tie this into a joke 
<laughs> the joke is, what's the difference? What's the difference between a straight man and a bisexual man? A six pack. Hey now. Yeah. The, Damn right. And I'm talking. Yeah, and I'm talking. I'm talking the alcohol here, not the not the abs. So. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, so, but, but seriously, like, like that, that, like yeah. when you think about this um, as being, um, a riff on, mm-hmm. on the repressive Victorian times, certainly and, uh, uh, Oscar Wilde had got a hold of this. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He would have been was, all over it. And certainly this would be a riff on, um, everything the temperance societies were saying. And of course, back then, you know, coming out, you, the minute you come out, you would have been deemed even now you do that and you and there's a you know percentage of, of the population who likes to wear red hats that say MAGA on it. Um, mm-hmm. who would be, who would consider you a monster? So, I mean, it's still, you know, which it, is interesting because, you know, are, are not they themselves, right? And yes. It, 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 you know, it, 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 uh, it, it, it kind of breaks off into various chunks, right? It is the, it is the, um, the repressed, um, Victorian, mm-hmm. uh, equivalent um suddenly being enabled and uh and breaking off into pure id um and and maybe that's why it why it doesn't translate well these days in that form i mean i yeah yeah you're right yeah i I do recall i i do recall um there's an episode of buck rogers where they had this woman who would transform back and forth um, or think about in the comics, Rose and the Thorn, the original. Yeah. Um, or even the even the later version, although it was all, you know, a psychological thing. So, yeah, yeah and that still checks out, right? Like, like yeah, the, you know, exactly. the, the creep um, is is another example of that in comics. Um, yes. w- you know where where you got you know Jack Ryder who. Uh, who comes off as sort of a, um, you know, who comes off one way and in fact is against these superheroes. And then he goes around and turns into one and, uh, and, you know, coming from the mind of Steve Ditko as well. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting kind of look at things, right. Um, you know, it is the, the, it's always the person you expect. It is the person who complains most, um, that is Mm -hmm. that which they fear. And, um, you know, it is the Lindsey Graham, um, um, saying he doesn't like those gays, um, mm-hmm. and where, where, you know, like Leslie Jordan would have been like, dude, uh, I, I'm tougher than you. <laughs> oh yeah. Le- Leslie Jordan would have looked at him and would have said, well, shit. Yeah. And, and wait, <laughs> just to, sorry, take one moment to. Raise a glass to uh, Leslie uh, to Leslie Jordan. Um, yes, any excuse, really, any excuse, any time. Um, Absolutely. But you know, I saw him. I actually saw him uh, in a show doing uh-huh. live stand up. Yeah, I was like fifteen feet away because it was a small club. I just f- always found him delightful. Oh my god, he was amazing. He did one of those, uh, like you, you know, I've got the Fitness Plus thing on my uh, Apple Watch, and he de- he did one of the. Uh, uh, they do this sort of celebrity walk with me things, where it's like they mm-hmm. just basically you basically go on a walk, and they're there. It's as though they're going on the walk with you and talking about this and that, and uh, and talking about just just different parts of their life journey. And his was one of the best, and it just like oh god, I. I 
it made me want to walk twice as much because I just wanted to listen to it again. And, um, and yeah, and this was maybe a couple of months before he passed and I was just like, Oh my God, this is so good. And I, you know, and you know, it's just like, Oh God, I love this guy. He's just so, he's just so great. You know, he's just pure joy, pure joy. Oh, yeah. he, even when he was playing his evil character on, uh, you know, Beverly Leslie, uh, he was oh, yes. he, he was meant to be evil. But God, you loved him. And um, oh, yeah. anyway, uh, so yeah, but, so yeah, and this to, uh, this show about Leslie Jordan. Um, that's right. That's <laughs> right. We. That's right. Yep. Drinking. Well, welcome to the Jordan, Leslie Jordan podcast. <laughs> oh, we. Oh yeah, but folks! If uh, you've never listened to an episode of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, you need to go listen because we're you're going to hear some good drinking game material out of indeed, there. Indeed, indeed. Um, over time, we'll probably develop our own. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but yeah, it is. You know, when you point out, like again, it's that. I always think of the. I said Ionian, but it was. It's. I guess it's Apollonian versus Dionysian. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. So that's what that is. Uh, you know, it is that always that. Um, here is sort of the uh, the picture perfect ideal of what it's supposed to be, which it never is. And right. uh, and then there is this force that invades it and kind of turns it on its head, and um, I, you know, again. Um, Parallels can be made to uh, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, civil rights in general, and um, uh, and I just think it's yeah. a fascinating set of themes that uh, that Stevenson set up, and 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 again, having watched a couple of the movie versions, and um, that Frederick March one is one that I think because my dad was a big fan of Frederick March as well, mm-hmm. you know, his version of the Bounty and and that sort of thing. And, um, and, you know, that kind of takes us to where we are with, with this is, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> everyone is all up in arms about it. Now, in this case, I mean, yeah, Hyde kills people. It's not great. Yeah. Not great. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that, not like, that, it's not like he's a force for good. So maybe my comparisons are falling flat just on that. There's a, but there's another element to that, um, and this, I think, also maybe speaks to why it is so difficult to see, um, you know, so why why we don't see a lot of remakes of Jekyll and Hyde um, yeah. lately is that we've gotten to the point where we don't look at things in such clearly linearly defined terms, yes. such black and white terms, yeah. as you know, Jekyll and Hyde. It's not just about the dangers of drink or something. It's about more, you know, if, if you were going to use it as a parallel for anything when it comes to like subs, you know, like substance abuse, it is the, it's a parallel of addiction because, yes, it's, you know, yes. it's, you know, when, when Jekyll starts turning into Hyde without, well, without needing the formula, with, you know, but still requires an antidote to turn yeah. back to Jekyll that that kind of the those moments really make you stop and and see it for it's not just you know just like for and this is probably where they can get that 
comparison when it comes to coming out. It's a decision you make, and then you can't. And then you know how do you how do you pull an antidote to that? You don't yeah, really. Yeah. But but because now we're looking at it from a flip side of it. In this, you know, in here here in the beginning, still the beginnings of the 21st century, we're looking at it, from, you know, we're looking at it from a different angle, from a flip side of it. And we're not seeing, because we're, we're a little bit less, we're, we're a little bit more about, you know, let some of those repressions out, you know, trying to yeah. fight. You got so many people fighting against those kinds of repressions now that it doesn't, that, that maybe just doesn't work as well, that you would have to make it a total period piece. And in a case like that, yeah. then you have the question of, well, would the period piece even work? It's a great story, and I think that it's yeah. it's a good caution. It, regardless it's, of anything, it's a good cautionary tale because it's about because at its heart, it's about letting. It's not about it, you know, just letting loose your id. It's about letting it take control. Oh, that's a great point. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just about hey, this is you know the, this is the evil things that. That you know the unrepressed do. It's like no, it's the it, it's that Hyde becomes more and more vicious as he go. Uh, the more times Jekyll transforms into him, right? Yeah, you know it's it's a it's the process that builds, and that is something you can even see today. And I'm gonna, and uh, this may get me canceled in some places, but that's okay. I've already mentioned being in the pride section of Target, so um, <laughs> it's it's the kind of thing that there are certain political factions in the United States that are that you know they, they've been given a, they they were given a taste of of some power and it got taken away, and they're doing everything they can. To hang on, you know, to get it back or hang on to what what they have and expand that power base. And I'm talking both politically and, well, I'm talking both in the government and out of the government. Mm-hmm. As far uh, because I used to live out in uh, the suburbs, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and I can tell you where I lived, there were a lot, lot of people who, as soon as they got, as soon as uh, Trump came to uh, came into office. He, they felt like they were entitled to basically bully everybody. Yeah, and it's it's that kind of thing. It's like oh, it, it's almost like oh look, we just let we just let our own you know our societal version of Mister Hyde out. Yeah, and so that's why that that's actually kind of a good reason why it should come back in some adapted form so that that people see. You know, people get reminded there are bad things that can happen if you if you don't rein yourself in. Yeah, yeah, and no one will ever greenlight that. That's right. No, yeah. um, no. Nope. Um, but it was, I believe, Aristotle who said moderation in all things. And Indeed. that's yeah, and that's that. I think is possibly the lesson that I don't think a lot of people take out of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Temperance, moderation. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Balance. Yes. Nice. Well, this has been quite a discussion. Absolutely. Folks, you got to check out this Jekyll and Hyde movie and you'll see the link for yes. it. Yes. And um, please and def- share your thoughts. Yeah. 
definitely. And when you, uh, we want to hear from you, we want to know, we want to know what you think about these movies too. Mm-hmm. So before we close though, let's talk about our SETI alpha eel. That's yes. that. just like in, just like in Star Trek two, we've got, we've got a little bug that crawled into our ear and is not letting, not letting go. So to, so this week, what's your SETI alpha eel? Mine um, actually ties into early days, early-ish days of uh, of Hollywood. Um, well, I guess like, they're not that early, but they're certainly within the first bunch. Um, and it is uh, a book by uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, the guys who uh, who have also brought us uh, uh, things like Criminal and uh, and the Reckless series uh, of of recent years, uh, but they did one a few years back uh, called the Fade Out, and it's a it's a standalone series, um, and it is a uh, I've read it a couple of times already, and um, and and it's all about basically a guy who is a screenwriter in Hollywood. Uh, he's suffering from uh, from PTSD. Um, and, uh, is fronting for a friend of his who is on the blacklist. And, um, and one night, uh, Charlie overdoes it, you know, dealing with the PTSD and self-medicating, uh, wakes up in the same room, uh, as a murdered starlet. And, uh, and it's all about him and his blacklisted friend, uh, setting out to bring her killer to justice and dealing with all kinds of problems with the studio head. And, uh, and it is just, um, well, you like to think that a lot of it is just, um, 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 fictional, but uh, mm-hmm. then you realize how much of it really parallels actual things that happened. And, wow! Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating it's a mis- read. Mysterious death of uh, Thelma Todd of all people. Absolutely, and, and uh-huh. that, that's a perfect uh, example. And um, and you know, and it kind of ties into um, uh, on a more fantastical note the uh, um, the series American Vampire. Uh, which starts out in sort of twenties uh, Hollywood, and um, and as as suggested by the title, things go horribly wrong, and uh, and so uh, so the two kind of dovetail for me in a in a most uh, unsettling way. But uh, but the fade out, I highly recommend it. Uh, came out from Image Comics, uh, Brew Baker and Phillips. Anything you see okay. with their name on it, buy it. It's worth your time. Yeah. And, uh, but that one in particular, especially if you're a fan of early Hollywood and, uh, and sort of these, uh, you know, like the sort of the studio era, um, yeah. there's a, there's a, it, it was terrible. The things they did to people were awful, but, but it's interesting to sort of see what they did under those circumstances and to, uh, and just yeah. sort of get that modern day perspective on it. It came out, I think in, um, I don't know. I want to say uh, like 2017 or something. Cause I think I read it the first time I, I got it out of the library um, uh, before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, I, uh, I, I ordered myself a copy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. I'll have to, I'll have to keep an eye out for I it. I think you would um, like that. Yeah. How about yourself, well, my, sir? What's stuck in your oh, ear? Mine. <laughs> What's stuck in my ear is literally what things are stuck in my ear because I started Thanks to um, some of our discussions prior to this, I've started listening to the audiobook version of Snow Crash. Nice. 
Yes. And yeah, and I went. I just I got on a cyberpunk binge. I had been listening to the the uh, the Neuromancer trilogy, the yeah. Sprawl trilogy, um, but I decided, you know what? Why don't I go ahead and get the audiobooks for this and for Islands of the Net, The Artificial Kid, and Schizomatrix Plus, all by uh, Bruce Sterling. Oh, nice. Yeah, and you and, know Sterling is a guy. I read his I read his nonfiction stuff. Like he did the uh, he he kind of literally wrote the book on uh, sort of the early hackers and the early you know the hackers mm-hmm. and crackers and whatnot. And I went to check out some of his stuff, and this was harder to find by that point. This was late nineties, and yeah. um, and so I found like his. Um, it was a short story collection. Um, and I found Heavy Weather. And this was like the same year that Twister came out. So it was no wonder yeah. they were putting that one back out again. But uh, anyway, no. So, uh, so yeah, Sterling's a guy I want to get into uh, further because uh, I've been reading um, your research on on this stuff. And, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and I find it fascinating. And it was an era that I would have loved but kind of missed uh yeah i came into it on the tail end cyberpunk it's, was good and over by the time i got into cyberpunk well cyberpunk i mean it it's an era that i would have loved to have been more in more connected with but considering that neuromancer came out in 84 was it, oh, it's that like, early wasn't it yeah yeah it's, it's a little too early for you know like a 16 year old me wouldn't have been able to quite handle it, you know, growing up in a small town, but you think of, you think, think of like Neuromancer coming out in the same year, um, that the Macintosh was announced, right. Um, which had its own sort of, uh, um, you know, battle with Orwell thing, um, in the, yeah. in the, uh, in, in that commercial, in that Super Bowl commercial. And then, and then Gibson comes out with this book that is like, um, you know, these, these sort of cyberspace warriors, I mean, even invents the term spy- cyberspace because it, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and then, and then you look at, uh, um, at, at Neil Stevenson and, um, y- you know, where, where Snow Crash is largely, um, a, a parody of all that stuff. Yes. Um, right. And, uh, but it's so nailed it and, and it, it can, the, to the point where it kind of twists around and becomes that itself. Exactly. There's yeah. a, a similar, uh, there, there's also a similar book, um, called head crash by Bruce Bethke. I think. Is yes. Yes. I yes. read that one. Yes. I have that downstairs and it's, uh, that was one of the first ones I, I, you know, I think I bought that at the same time that I bought uh neuromancer and I happened mm-hmm. to read that one first. And again, it's more of a parody of that or see that, that, um, it's almost dismissive um, because yeah. it's a, it's a great story, and uh, and I really loved that one. Um, yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that one because that's uh, like I say, I, I bought them both the same day, <laughs> and uh, and I read that one first, and then it was like I really need to get to the source here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I I think the next thing I want to do is I want to track down uh, Crystal Express, which is by Sterling. Okay. Uh, because that one, 
I haven't read it all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely down for that, but I also want to get the, uh, the virtual light trilogy from uh, Gibson. So I'm, I'm kind of like doing all kind of like going all over the place here, but yeah, it's, it's good. That's delightful though. What a, what a I'm great, a, if you're going to go, if you're going to go all over the place on something, that's, that's the way to do it. I mean, Oh yeah. Exciting. Exciting. But yeah, the snow crash thing, uh, because it, um, it, you know, it was recently the 30th anniversary of the book. Um, or I guess a couple of years ago, but they've come out with a new version and I'm resisting the urge because I have already bought a few versions of it between the audio book, the mm-hmm. book, uh, yeah. the book book and another book book because my other one was starting to fall apart because I've read it a few times. Um, every now and then I read it because it's like, damn, he predicted everything. What's coming next. Let me check. <laughs> yeah. Wow. In- that's really interesting. I just um, I decided to do a little uh, diving down a a rabbit hole for a second, and I just realized just realized um, Bruce Bethke, the guy who wrote yeah. Head Crash, is also the man who coined the term cyberpunk. Really? From his yeah from from a short story he wrote in Amazing Stories, or that got published in Amazing Stories. I it's, think uh, they say that in his uh, in his um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think they say it in his uh, auto, uh, his author bio in that book. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about cyberpunk. I can't, I think it's that, I think that's the one where he, he actually encourages pirating the, the novel because um, apparently people, apparently um, the, the publishers kind of aren't, he's not getting good residuals or something. Yeah. But yeah, That's but true. also first published in in nineteen ninety four or nineteen eighty four, another yes. one. Yeah, so his nineteen eighty three short story cyberpunk, which led to the widespread use eighty four novel. Term. Yeah, 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 an eighty four novel. A gang of unruly teenagers cut school and go joyriding around the net on their hopped up portable computers, which at the time was portable computers. I know. You know, it's like um, oh, yeah. I was explaining this to to my kids the other uh the other day. It's like, yeah, so I had my laptop in uh, 1997 and it was it was huge. <laughs> well, I got yeah, well, I love to tell people the story of the first laptop I got. It was in 1989. Oh man. It was 12 pounds. And then it came with a five-pound battery pack, so you could either plug directly in. Um, it, it had the, it had a power adapter, or you could plug in the power. Um, actually, plug in the battery pack itself. You know, add another five pounds to it. It was so long it stretched past my knees on my lap. Wow! But it was an Epson. Equity LT two eighty six E, so it was a yeah it it was a two eighty six. It had a whopping um, forty megabyte hard drive. Whoa! I know That's a lot of storage storage space. You'll never fill that. I know, and ironically, um, after 
after my mom died, went downstairs and discovered she had still hung on to that old computer. It wouldn't boot up anymore. Wouldn't boot up anymore. But um, it's a sad thing, it, right? The techn- yeah. Technology graveyard. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. My my daughter uh, came upstairs. Uh, she'd been looking through a couple of old boxes and she found my old uh, iPhone. Uh, it was the second ver- second iteration. So it was the iPhone 3G uh, mm-hmm. that I got just before she was born. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so I went to try and power it up and I plugged it in and I saw the little, um, you know, silver, uh, scale, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Apple logo because that was their thing then. Um, right. and, uh, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't boot up un- unfortunately. Um, because yeah. I would have just love to have seen, you know, it was back in the days of the very skeuomorphic, uh, designs on the, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's just this, this old technology, um, parade. Right of, uh, yeah. of of technical technological junk where you think when did that change over and uh, you know mm-hmm. and like I've got my old flip phone and I I, I keep it around because I keep threatening my daughter you know if, uh, if she doesn't get her chores done and uh, or uh, or does something stupid online then she's going to lose access to her iPhone and she's just going to be on the flip phone for the rest of uh, rest of her time and <laughs> um, and uh, good luck texting kid it takes you it takes you 5 minutes to say oh, God, I wanted to do a capital A god damn it I cycled around and I got capital B all right keep going <laughs> yeah uh, I remember those days. And, yeah, and I mean it's it's not that far removed, you know? No. But it's it's funny how soon we forget it. And you yeah. know for as much as we are of the of the generation that is is like hey, I remember when you uh when you had to search around for a payphone to get a hold of someone. And you know, we remember that, but we were the first to tr- to do whatever we could to forget it. Yes. And, uh, and so, um, so, you know, this, this stuff where, where it's like, yeah, it's new and it's like, can't imagine this, you know, when I was a kid, but then it's like the, um, you know, wouldn't want to go back to, to that. Oh, yeah. God, no. um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now and, um, I'm, I'm going back in my head and I think it's been at least, I think it's been probably about 20 years since I had a computer that took three and a, that took the old three and a half inch floppy disks. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the save icon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was looking at a lot today and I was thinking, man, nobody knows, you know, most of my coworkers don't know what that is. Um, and, um, Yeah. But see this, this is how quickly this stuff changes. And this is, uh, Mm -hmm. this is, you know, it's, and it's funny because the cyberpunk stuff grew out of a time where this was all new and it was uncharted territory and they were predicting where this could go. And in many cases with startling, uh, and disturbing accuracy, uh, especially in, uh, in Stevenson's case, I think a lot in Gibson's case as well. Um, I, I think Beth key was kind of messing with us too. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he, he saw it, but he was like, imagine this and, uh, and, and kind of went and did the, the you know, created the, uh, the, uh, mad magazine version of it. Um, yeah, but you know, that was, um, 
that was a time. And it's like, we see these, these changes and, you know, you see what's going on with like the writer's strike, for example, where it's like, you know, the last time the strike happened, this was what was going on. And, uh, and now this strike, you know, it's more about the idea of, of streaming. And it's like, and then you start looking at, it's like how these things have changed everything. Right. So now it's, um, it used to be that they would write an episode and they would air that first time and they get, you know, they would get their initial payment plus they'd get a residual mm-hmm. from when it aired. And then later on there'd be reruns. Well, now there's no reruns because now they just right. put it all, they put it up on Hulu the next day or whatever service. And, um, and so now it's just streaming and while they don't really make anything on streaming, if at all. And, right. and so, you know, and, and they certainly don't share numbers. So you don't know how much you should be getting and, anyway right and uh, and it's you know it's it's, deeper control of the system yeah it's it's uh oh yeah i well i've got friends who are um who actually write for star trek prodigy Mm -hmm. and um yeah they um the bensons you might have yeah julian shauna benson i i I know them as well yes oh yeah i've been i've been friends with them i've been friends with them since like 1990 or something oh my goodness yeah we they they grew up not uh not far from the they were from morton i was from chillicothe we were all on we were all on a kind of early bbs internet access bbs called the heartland freenet and that's how we all met each other no that's cool but yeah, yeah um yeah i'm uh i'm so julie more shauna than julie but but we all go but julie and shauna and i go way back um, I, I I know Julie more because we were we we did an episode of uh, of Comic Geek Speak together and uh, and and sort of got to know each other that uh, there and have kept in in touch in the uh, you know in the in the cyberlands. Yeah, um, so I don't you know them. I don't you know I I am acquainted with. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, fun funny story about that. I uh, I hadn't seen Shauna in like twenty five years or something. And when she and Julie were doing Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, yeah, they they came to C two E two, and Shauna and I saw each other, and we just gave each other a big hug, and we and the their handler started to look worried because it was like just big long hug, and it's like yeah, so and uh and, and she she had to turn around and explain <laughs> and explain funny. who I was. Oh yeah, we and we even had. Um, yeah, we uh, had dinner. We've had dinner a couple times with her ex um, from years ago, uh, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, who used to always, whose uh, whose handle, well, his, his uh, like BBC handle was Case, as in Case from yes. Neuromancer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it all comes back around. It does. It all it all comes back to Gibson. All right. Well, very nice. So, look at us. Uh, look at us taking as much as we can to uh, um, to extend our our, um, our 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 ear thing. That's right. Well, it's all when you think about it. All though, it's all it all comes back around to if you think about it, addiction. If you look at Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde as a tale of addiction, there's there's another comparison for you. Cyberspace. And oh, yes. social media. Yes. 
Yeah, we've so been talking about that a lot in this household and uh, making, mm-hmm. making many changes with that. And, uh, and it is difficult to, uh, to break those chains. Yes. And, um, you know, and uh, I mean, the first step is to just try. Uh, but indeed, uh, yeah. Anyway, indeed, we have we have extended this part of the of the show uh, for long enough, uh, <laughs> and so folks, yeah. we we will see you all next. And what are we looking at next time, Alan? Next time we are looking are. at it. We are looking at a tale from 1916 of uh, of artificially created beings. Again, it is called Homunculists. Very nice. All right, folks, you can uh, certainly find that on the YouTubes to take a look uh, so that you're ahead. Um, That's right. Or you can just wait until we talk about it and then follow the link in our show notes. It all works. Absolutely. And so we will see you all later. Yes. Have a good night, all. And a good day or good whenever you're listening to this. And so once again, the day is saved. Thanks to Watch This Space. Share your thoughts on the things we discussed tonight, or today, or whenever you're listening to this, at watchthisspacemail at gmail.com. <laughs>